So then. If you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision. Hello, folks, and welcome to the show. I'm L.B. Dia. And I am Lance Fever Myers, and this is episode three of the Persistence of Vision podcast. Persistence of Vision? What the hell does that mean? I love that question. That's why I continue to ask it. Images flashed on the retina and processed into vision by our brains tend to linger, then blend with the next incoming image. This is how and why we are able to perceive uh, movement and make sense of our ever-changing world, L.B. That's how cartoons work. And Persistence of Vision Publishing, what's that? Another great question. Persistence of Vision Publishing is an Austin-based company dedicated to bringing you a steady stream of thought-provoking, conversation-stimulating material. If you check the website now, which is pov-publishing.com, you can read poetry by Juan East Myers, W. Joe Hoppy. You can read sequential art and comics by Walt Holcomb and Penny Van Horn. And read about the soon-to-be-released work of literary fiction, my novel, Why So Much. Book release party, you say? Sure, When yeah. is the party? <laughs> the party's going to be June 8th, I think? Right. It takes place June 8th at Malvern Books in Austin, but the book is already available for pre-order at Amazon.com. Just look for a book called Why So Much by me, Lance Myers. And that is... June 8th, 2019, for Correct. all you listeners of the future. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But enough Sounds about the future. Let's talk about the present. Yes. We have a guest with us, Mr. Professor Timothy Braun. Mm-hmm. Playwriting professor. Or, uh, not playwriting. Technically, uh, I am uh, the visiting assistant uh, professor of creative writing in the... Uh, English program, the English language program at St. Edward's University. St. So Ed's. I teach playwriting, I teach screenwriting, um, I do teach intro to creative writing, which means I ultimately teach short story writing and also poetry and things along those lines. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, we have a fantastic gaming program, so all of the gamers now have to take my uh, classes to... Uh, to look at uh, story arc and character development. And in the process, I'm now teaching a lot of gaming stuff, wow. which I never thought I'd do, which yeah, is a lot of fun. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you are the perfect person to talk about Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because mm-hmm. I didn't, when, when we talked about talking about this book, I didn't realize it came out in so many different forms. Yes. Uh, he, from what I understand, the initial idea, of course, he, he got the idea for uh, hitchhikers by actually hitchhiking. Uh, I'm serious. He was actually <laughs> right. hitchhiking through Belgium at that point in time. This is Douglas uh, Adams. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, that's where he got some of the principal ideas. Uh, but he had multiple ideas as well for this, uh, for this book uh, to be a radio show. Uh, a lot of people tried to adapt it to be a game. As I said, with the, the gaming majors that I've talked to. Uh, of course, it's been adapted into a BBC uh, television show and movies and things along those lines. Uh, it's also uh, been adapted into a stage play. This was something that Douglas Adams was very interested in. He wrote for Monty Python, uh, Flying that Circus. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, which makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, he did write a great deal of uh, sketch theater and sketch comedy at that point in time, but this was uh, his first of many pretty severe hits. Uh, he does have the distinction of being the first 
and one of only two members of, uh, or at least uh, people who are not members of Monty Python to be credited as a writer in one of their shows and even shows up as an actor. He shows up in a Monty Python episode as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is that right? Definitely one for you to check out. I yeah. did not know that. Mm-hmm. He was an imposing looking gentleman, I gather. Mm-hmm. He was about six foot five, uh, of course. Uh, th- or as, as Americans would say, six foot five. Uh, over there, he's you know x number of meters. Uh, but um, uh, yet yeah, he, uh, towards uh, the the late eighties and early nineties, he uh, uh, fleshed out a little bit of tummy, as we all know, uh-huh. uh, and looked a little more like a jolly, not quite Santa Claus, not quite like that, but almost like a. Uh, Will Ferrell style kind of character that, mm. that, that you would find uh, was very much into environmentalism would hike mountains dressed as uh, a uh, rhino uh, to bring attention to uh, well, what's happening to our, our rhino friends uh, of course going down the, the level of extinction and poaching yes. and things along those lines nothing good so yeah so he um, did all these things before writing this book or before he did he, doing he the actually used, used his fame uh from this book that mm-hmm. ultimately launched off uh, uh those other projects of course multiple uh hitchhiker books uh, he was notorious one of his i think best quotes uh in, in for, for my money at least uh is that uh, i love deadlines and the sound they make as they go Zooming by me. I'm I'm actually butchering the quote right now. But he was notorious for uh, what he described as writer's block and how he would try to fist fight his way through it uh, and uh, missing deadline after deadline after deadline. So uh, with the level of success with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and multiple versions uh, that came, or at least uh, sequels, if you will, uh, The Restaurant to the End of the Universe, uh, and um, uh, life, the universe, and everything, mostly harmless, and things along those lines. So he, long, and thanks for all the fish. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Um, he also, uh, that's after that is when he started doing uh, Dirk Gently, uh, the uh, holistic detective, and mm. uh, his his whole series, uh, which have this similar level of postmodern, uh, rather uh, existential humor that mm. uh, you can you you really need to, to taste. Uh, to to understand uh, the the books, the writing style, some of the things he's trying to say. So this is not actually a guide for hitchhikers. It's, it's, it's a, <laughs> it is it's a not. Novel. not. It's a story. No. Uh, and uh, also being very politically uh, motivated and, and, and active, uh, what I think of this book as a classic mm-hmm. uh, for multiple reasons is that it touches on so many things that we're, we've been wrestling with for, well, since we were telling stories around a campfire in Ethiopia and things along those lines. Well, what is the meaning to life, the universe, and everything? Of course, the answer in Hitchhiker's, spoiler alert, is 42. Yeah. We're just not asking the right question. <laughs> uh, but the very beginning of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, it essentially starts off with gentrification. We come across a main character who uh, his home is going to be destroyed uh, in the name of progress and in the name of a bypass. Uh, and then his friend Ford, Arthur, uh, Arthur is the main character, at least for, for many of us, uh, says, come here, let's get a drink uh, because we're going to hitch a ride. We've got to get out of here. Uh, and he says, well, Earth in itself was in the way of an intergalactic highway. We've got progress and we're going to plow you guys down and uh, ultimately try to open up these kinds of things. And uh, if you were to be... Uh, let's say, uh, just about any city right now. Of course, Austin has a pretty serious confrontation right now with gentrification, but uh, so many cities in the United States do right now. So many places in England 
have these kinds of issues as well. Uh, mm -hmm. These are classic ideas that go, well, you can go all the way back to things like Christopher Columbus, the Romans, anything uh, mm -hmm. along, along the lines of, well, the Romans are probably be a very, very good uh, example because they were so good at building roads and yes. taking things over from it. So mm -hmm. It seems so. like the... the um, Part of the gentrification, well, part of them knocking out his home has to do with gentrification, but also the fact that, okay, so it mirrors the fact, like, just a, a chapter later, they're mm -hmm. actually destroying the earth to make, exactly. make way for the, the intergalactic bypass or whatever it is. But also, it seems like the British have this um, need or, or want or, like, penchant to, like... Uh, Parody bureaucracy. Yes. Like I'm seeing like in Terry Gilliams, a lot of Terry Gilliams work is like yeah. based on that sort of thing. And uh, the uh, this was of course post uh, World War II when British humor really began to change an awful lot. You've seen the British Empire not completely and totally crumble, but all of a sudden they weren't the top dogs that they were as they were slowly beginning to fall apart in the 1800s. And then after, of course, having to deal with some of the horrific things of World War II, having, you know, consistently having bombs dropped on them by the Nazis and really uh, uh, trying to stand strong in the process of some of the bureaucracy, you get sort of a, a cheeky, really absurd sense of humor. Uh, there's one line in the book uh, that I, I always go back to, and it's about a ship. And it says... The ship hung in the air, much in the way bricks don't. <laughs> that's right. And I thought, I love that one. Yes, that's that's just absolutely perfect in the yeah. way this rather uh, you know existential, uh, really leading us into postmodernism, and then going back to things, of course, like uh, Monty Python and how they've approached not just their movies but their television show uh, at St. Ed's. Uh, I used to team teach a philosophy and literature class with a guy in where we would show our students uh, there's the philosopher's soccer match every year. Yeah, that's a classic. Uh, classic, and of course, that's just classic Python. Uh, and uh, you can really see a lot of that, you know, all those influences really come out of the philosopher's book soccer as well. match is a, is a skit from Monty Python mm -hmm. that's in the Hollywood Bowl. Mm hmm. And it shows uh, a soccer match with a commentator talking about what's going on in the field. But, of course, all the players are f famous philosophers instead of regular mm -hmm. footballers. Some good stuff, man. Mm -hmm. I grew up just loving Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm -hmm. But I had never read this book oh, until really? we decided to, to interview about it. So mm -hmm. I, I'm coming to this completely fresh. I read it. I finished it a, a week ago. Okay. And so all of this is brand new to me. I'm a big Vonnegut fan, and I saw a lot of similarities to yeah. Sirens of Titan. Yeah. Are you familiar with that book, Sirens of Titan? Yeah, I'm a. I myself am a huge Vonnegut fan yeah, as yeah. well. Uh, and uh, I think that he, for for my money, Douglas Adams was uh, sort of the the British answer to. Uh, Vonnegut, a very wry sense of humor, uh, but we're opening up other ideas as well that are very universal. Um, uh, I think they very much go hand in hand. Uh, right. I, you can even see just the, the concept of things like the way they manipulate time and space in The mm. Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy, and again, its sequels, uh, can go into things like Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, or uh, Breakfast of Champions, uh, mm -hmm. they're all standing on the shoulders of one another. Uh, how I came to this book, uh, I came to it when I was about five. Is that right? But I came to it through a radio show. They were doing BBC radio shows in the early 80s. Uh, and uh, uh, Douglas Adams and a handful of people, they typed them up, and they did, well, for 
for, for the young folk out there in podcast land, before we had podcasts, we had radio shows. But the BBC did an exceptional job of knowing uh, how to show but don't tell uh, with the radio show. And uh, it, uh, my dad would record them on uh, good old-fashioned cassettes. And we would listen to them in car trips to my grandparents. And so I was immediately inundated just by the sound of these guys and uh, this, the, the punchlines that are happening. And then ultimately, when I was in middle school, I, I really gave it a crack. I said, all right, let me see if I can read it. And then there's new layers upon layers. Fun thing about the BBC radio show, I'm sure you can get your hands on it. It's, it's not only an exceptional radio show, um, but uh, the, uh, the, the actor they find to play Zaphod Beeblebrox is the only person that has an American accent. Mm. And I have no evidence on what I'm about to say. I'm, I'm just guessing that everybody else is, uh, you know, of course, has a British accent. Uh, but when you find the most audacious, pompous <laughs> person, he, he's the president <laughs> of the universe, or at least, you know, and he steals uh, uh, the heart of gold. It's yeah. something about that. I, I, I've always wondered, were you guys trying to make some kind of very sly... Very thing? audacious. And he, he like even blocks off part of his mind yes. <laughs> on purpose so that he won't question himself. And these things Something like, with two heads. <laughs> and it's I, like, I don't right. know. I wonder if, what you guys are trying to say about that. <laughs> it's interesting to you talk about the history of the British Empire and you talk about the comparisons with Vonnegut. When you see Douglas Adams and Monty Python, this whole period much more philosophical, much more explicitly philosophical uh, type of comedy, mm. an intellectual type of comedy than would probably fly today. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't see, and Woody Allen is another example. Yeah. You know, tons of references to, you know, classic literature and, 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 and uh, famous philosophers and things like that in the, in the comedy. I wonder if it has anything to do with World War II, I mean, that was my initial impulse. Maybe it doesn't make any sense, but like, you know, for someone who grew up in World War II, the idea of your house being destroyed and then the earth mm -hmm. being destroyed mm. has a certain vividness if you've actually been under bombs, you know. And that's actually why I often come back to Vonnegut as well, uh, because I think that his time in, in World War II, I don't think, I mean, it's pretty obvious he wrote heavily about it, is yes. that if it wasn't for him in that meat locker, uh, in in uh, in Slaughterhouse Five, uh, Vonnegut said uh, when he came home from World War II, his uncle said, "You're essentially a real man now. You know you've mm -hmm. seen war, and and uh, if you have killed a guy, and he said, if I kill you, you'll be the first German I kill. You'll wow. be the first anybody I kill. Hmm. Uh, and of course, not to completely steer off the uh, the Douglas Adams uh, road here, but." That's why Vonnegut ultimately went to University of Chicago and he was studying anthropology. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think it was Cat's Cradle was supposed to be his uh, his big dissertation and thesis. I think I, I should I probably should know that. Uh, but uh, I think that impact of uh, how horrible that war was. And with uh, as before I came over here, I was spending time with my elderly dog and trying to do a little bit of laundry uh, and kind of sort of watching a basketball game while I was reading or grading papers. And right now I'm grading papers uh, of where I ask my students the question, what is funny? And when do we cross a line? 
on what's funny. When did it become offensive? When does it become hurtful? Uh, and uh, we go... Ironically, is exactly the same time. Yeah. It becomes offensive and hurtful is when it becomes funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, I asked them to use definitional argumentation, and we look at the Charlie Hebdo shootings of uh, almost mm. four years ago now uh, for drawing the Prophet Muhammad. We look at South Park, but they have to do research that goes back to the Greeks. They, they look at... Uh, uh, it was a, a Carl Jung's book on jokes and when he was trying to analyze what makes us laugh mm-hmm. and, and why. Uh, and consistently when I go back to Douglas Adams and this rather wry British sense of humor, okay, we've, we've watched our empire start to unwind but not completely crumble. We've stabilized and we don't have to be the top dog in the world, which was probably quite humiliating, but you're able to turn in and have some self-reflection. And when I go back to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy... I consistently get this idea of some kind of self-reflection of who we are, why are we here? That's what, of course, 42 ultimately yeah, right. leads yeah. to. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what made me feel like it was such a, a companion piece to Sirens of Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, here's more spoiler uh, alert for you. It's uh, the, the the main gist of Sirens of Titan. Have you read that, LB? I have not. Um, mm-hmm. In the end, humanity is just a, 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 a conduit they were pretty much the entire civilization was created in order to give this alien that's this stranded alien mm-hmm. instructions on how to fix his ship. Mm-hmm. And in in uh, you know Hitchhiker's Guide, the human race is built as a computer to mm-hmm. try to find this particular answer. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to find uh, a a meaning for life, or, or kind of demonstrating that it's it really has nothing to do with. We're, we're way off base. We don't know mm-hmm. why we're here, but mm-hmm. we're al- almost here, like incidentally, like like as a tool for someone else to figure something out. And you you've also got some really interesting humor like that um, in uh, in in the movies of this time, because in the late seventies, when you're taking a look at if, if you take a look at uh, the movie Meatballs, which was written by Harold Ramis, mm-hmm. uh, about uh, how there's all this pressure on how important everything can be when you're a teenager. Meatball spoiler alert yeah. uh, is that it takes place at a summer camp, and it's basically the rich kids versus the the poor kid camp. At the end, otherwise they're going to do some kind of camp Olympics. And Bill Murray, at the night before they all start, he starts chanting with the kids. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And, and one of the great this... things about that scene mm-hmm. is that he never, in any sense, tries to justify that statement. No. <laughs> he doesn't say it doesn't matter because X, Y, or Z. He just points out that, of course, it doesn't make any difference whether they win this event the next day. And the, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when Ford is first showing Arthur... Uh, the what's going on with this this guide and they come to, back to humans or and we come down to earth uh, and it says harmless yes and of course Arthur is somewhat offended and then the new edition says mostly harmless Most, right yes <laughs> and it's like really at the, at the end of the day you know when we're looking at the gigantic grand scheme of things this big black thing around us with stars and Oh, how do we all fit in? Do we fit in? Why are we here? There's multiple layers that we can possibly adjust, but then maybe maybe at the end of the day, go back to meatballs just to get your sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the, I read the book in sixth grade and then reread it uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was surprised by how literary it was. Yeah. Um, I think that it is a pretty apt comparison to Vonnegut in that sense. It's 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 very silly, but it's not... 
uh, it's not like a parody of science fiction. It is science fiction. It's hard mm-hmm. science fiction. You clearly have a, a, an intelligent, creative person grappling with the nature of star travel and things like that. If it if it were possible, and what would a galactic civilization actually look like? I mean, of course, it's a parody of a galactic civilization, mm-hmm. but it's very, very carefully thought through, mm-hmm. and the writing is quite. Uh, quite rich yeah and although wacky it, it feels as though nothing of none of it is forced that's really hard that's really hard to do as a writer mm-hmm. uh and i know you guys know this quite quite well is that sometimes you're, you're really trying to find out what you're trying you know what you want to say you just don't know how to say it mm-hmm. i see this all the time with my students and of course i i never go through this i'm <laughs> yeah oh no it, 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 it's every time i look at one of my plays uh, i'm working on uh, a new one right now uh, and uh, there's a scene that just sticks out like a sore thumb for some reason. It just doesn't quite feel like this is the world I'm trying to build. These, this is natural with the characters. The one thing that comes back to me when I think about this is, although he struggled with what he described as writer's block and trying to push through these kinds of things, all the wacky stuff, mice and dolphins and the uh, pan-galactic gargle blaster, it all seems to fit even Zaphod, when he comes in, when I was a kid, I thought, wow, this guy is just crazy and amazing and, mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things. And now, as I look back upon it, it just seems to fit so well in your tackling gigantic topics and issues at the same time. It's really something. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I think that, that lends that literary quality, as you say, is the scope of what he's accomplishing, what he's mm-hmm. trying to examine and, and envision and describe to us. You know, it's just... He's describing a, a planet where they make planets. Yeah. And uh, and the, they basically can do absolutely anything if you have the money to pay for a planet. So they, they have like a, something that's analogous, I would say, to a display room or what do you call it? A, 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 a showroom. Show yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a showroom. Show yeah. yeah. And they, they yeah, they, they there's a planet that's made entirely of gold. And it's just extraordinary, you know, mm-hmm. the, the imagination of, uh, of the of the work but it's not it doesn't feel completely driven by these you know like kind of novel ideas the way i feel a lot of science fiction is mm-hmm. where a lot of science fiction is like okay let's ex- explore what it would be like if this technological advancement occurred and what would civil human civilization do around that or how would that drive you know where we're going and that sort of thing i feel like this is so much more about just real human mm-hmm problems real human conundrums real do you know what i mean by that i think the best science fiction is personally absolutely yeah, it's it is that uh, you know on occasion i look at science fiction and say okay you had a concept and then you forced your characters through yeah, it right it's why we you know love star wars mm-hmm. uh, because you can strip away the laser swords and mm-hmm. the droids and all those kinds of things and ultimately i understand this character i understand han solo you're you're you've got a heart of gold but you're actually a scoundrel on the outside to protect yourself <laughs> yeah. yeah you're you're like every 17 year old boy mm-hmm. i've ever come across yeah. you know i mean there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff uh, and with this uh, you know one of the more hilarious uh and yet very human characters is the android marvin the paranoid android <laughs> And he really does come across, at the least on the surface, to me, um, oh, this is silly. 
but he, I know people like this. This Andro- an Android isn't supposed to have you know these depression. kinds of depression and worry. You can feel uh, this Android's pain even through its uh, yeah his attempts to make light of them or or to channel them into bizarre question asking. It's funny you mentioned Woody, Woody Allen. The, the three things that came to mind when I was reading this were Vonnegut and Woody Allen, because I have several of his books too, which is mm-hmm. very highbrow humor in, in this sort of way too, but also uh, Lewis Carroll. Oh, yeah. Um, you mm-hmm. know, dealing with paradox in logic and that sort of thing. I consistently come back to, and, and definitely there's a political statement with this, but when I do think of Lewis Carroll connecting to Douglas Adams, uh, I think of uh, the ravenous bugbladder beast of Trog that is so uh, terrifying and so nasty and all these kinds of things, uh, and yet uh, it's so stupid. You can take the <laughs> towel, wrap it around your head right. because it's so stupid that it thinks that if you can't see it, it can't see you. <laughs> yeah. right? and, yeah. and it's like I, there's so many times I've been at, let's say, ah, the DMV getting my driver's license taken care of or something like that. I'm like, there's the level of bureaucracy that we brought up earlier, we can see these very human things. We can see that DMV worker as the horrible creature who ultimately I'm pretty <laughs> certain I can out-trick and not yeah. die at the end of the day. And then no question I, of course, bring up the, the, the best you can possibly come up with. Uh, I, the, the simplistic towel Mm-hmm. No, it's right. the greatest thing you've got <laughs> for yeah. so many reasons. So The towel in the book is the uh, ultimate resource or the ultimate uh, accessory to any hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, the, the towel, as they say in the book, is that you're on one planet and you've been swimming. It can dry you off. You're on this other planet. You mentioned that it's cold. You can use it as a blanket. Uh, you can use it in so many different ways. Uh, and uh, I have to admit, I have a towel in my uh, my, my car right now. Just, <laughs> yeah, nice. I was just thinking about that. Uh, so it is a little bit of a guide for hitchhikers. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, with, with as much as it mentions the hitchhiker's guide, it it actually kind of surprised me how it what a small role that actually played in the stories. Maybe maybe you disagree with me here, but I felt like after reading it, I, I thought, why is it called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and not like Heart of Gold after the ship that they steal? Mm-hmm. Like, not, it seemed like there'd be so many more other things that that would be central to the story that they could call it. Why do you think they? Would you talk, read a book called Heart of Gold? Uh, well, yeah, Maybe. good point. I guess good if point. It was really well repeated, but it doesn't sound funny. Uh, he, uh, I think the idea too is again he got the idea for the book while right. while, while hitchhiking, but uh, Arthur is forced into hitchhiking with his friend, and Ford is a hitchhiker. And uh, I, when I, when I talk with my students, I, I turned forty four a week ago. Happy birthday! Thank hey. you. Plug for Timmy. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I'm at the age now of where when I want to uh, travel, uh, it's I want to end the night uh, in, in a place that has a nice bed. And there should, for my money, there should be a bar. Mm-hmm. And that bar should have a lovely cocktail that, I don't know, has ice in it. And uh, on occasion, uh, I, I, you know, I really, sometimes a younger person, uh, will um, uh, when I get to those places, they will help me with my bag. Uh, you know, I, I like that when I tell my students, uh, you know, I'm I'm now a tourist. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, when you're in your 20s, uh, when I was uh, uh, just getting out of graduate school, uh, and actually right before graduate school, too, um, I was uh, bumming around uh, Ireland uh, with a bag on my back, mm-hmm. um, I, and I weighed quite literally about 40 pounds less than I do now. Mm-hmm. I like my rosé now. Um, then, you know, I, I like to sit on my porch with my old dog, you know. But um, I would stay in youth hostels and get into all kinds of adventures, and I've got all kinds of stories. Uh, one time I was in Dublin, and I did not know this, but it was Bloomsday, uh-huh. uh, the day that Ulysses takes place on, of course. Uh, and I was in Temple Bar, basically Dublin's version of uh, the West Village, uh, if you will. And uh, I was um, uh, I was uh, at a youth hostel, and one of the people I was sharing a room with had a four people. Uh, she was a uh, architect assistant from Switzerland, and had an extra ticket uh, for the Bob Dylan Van Morrison concert up in Belfast, and wanted to know if I'd like to go with her. <laughs> You just, yeah, I, I mean, that's what happens when you're bumming around and you're you're hitchhiking all over the place and things like that. Yeah, and Belfast uh, was a rough town back then too, right? In the in the late '90s, it was when the uh, it's when the peace talks were going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a that was a fun time because it was also during the World Cup. Yeah. So to to be in a country that uh, yeah takes it as seriously as they do, that was that was fun times. Yeah can't do that anymore <laughs> so you're saying that it, like a, a hitchhike like to even reference hitchhiking seems to sort of conjure adventure yeah I think in, it in a does, way yeah. maybe heart of gold wouldn't yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think so yeah okay well we, we should get to our our questions here because uh and we've been asking questions mm-hmm. but we have a uh we've sort of installed a set of cannons Mm-hmm. A new uh, recurring event, right? Yes, a set of cannons that will fire a battery of questions. And that set of cannons... <laughs> this is the lightning round? Yes. I, yes. I understand. Yeah, We've reached the you, lightning you round. You have three uh, lifelines, <laughs> including phone a friend. But why don't you go ahead? All right. Uh, okay. Number one of our battery of questions for every guest from here on out, I think, maybe. Um, when was the first time you remember falling in love with a book? I think it's going to be this one. Is that really. right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, you said five years old, right? Yeah, and uh, it, that was through the radio show. But oh, then gotcha. after picking it up, when I was in middle school and I picked this up, we were I was kind of being forced into reading the stuff that middle schoolers are supposed to read. And it's well, you know, where the red ferns grow, which is fine. It's not bad. Uh, but uh, uh, this one had adventure, excitement, silliness. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is, this is what novels can be like. This is really fascinating stuff. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Fantastic. What about, uh, has a book ever changed your mind about anything? Uh, it was Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, and actually, as I, we brought up, because we were talking about, um, uh, we were talking about Vonnegut earlier, uh, I have read Breakfast of Champions more than once. As a teenager, I read it and just thought it was cool. And I read it in my 30s, and it was a completely different way of looking at the world, right. people. It meant something totally different when I started losing my hair and turning my beard turning gray and those kinds of things. Great God. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, has a book ever made you cry? Oh, yeah. Lots, lots do. Um, I teach a book in a literature class uh, uh, called We the Animals came out a couple of years ago it's a novella um and we don't allow crybabies on our show okay. <laughs> i will you know what i'll uh, that was i'll a, just that see was myself a, that was, well i'm embarrassed no please go ahead um 
I, and I don't know when this podcast is going to be coming out, uh, one of my favorite books that I continually go back to uh, is called The Little Prince. Mm. And um, uh, one of my uh, friends, he's got a two-year-old son, and I was going to, he just turned two, and I was going to send him some kind of like clock, you know, like an animal clock, because he's learning how to do things like tell time and all that kind of stuff. And instead, I'm going to send him a copy of The Little Prince uh, I, because I, I write a lot, as Albie knows, about my relationship with my dog. Um, I have five tattoos, and two of them are quotes from The Little Prince about his uh, when the prince comes across the fox. And that always, and the fox has a couple of very smart comments to make that I'd like for the president to maybe... Like, I'll read it to you. Yes. Yeah, kind of things. We, I think the audience would love to know what your dog's name is and what the dog is like. The uh, the, the dog, his, his name is Dusty Danger Dog. Um, I started writing about him seven years ago. Uh, the first essay that I had built around him uh, was published by the Modern Love column in New York Times. Wow. Uh, as in the process, he has been cartooned by the New York Times. Uh, as have I, but his cartooning is much better than mine. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, I've written 28 stories about him. Uh, he ran for president against uh, Trump and Hillary Clinton for Huffington Post. I remember that. Uh, our first big adventure uh, was after he started getting a little bit of notoriety. Uh, was uh, I? Uh, I've studied social media a lot. I am really tired of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought I felt like we were all getting into small bubbles. And my dog is very friendly. He is a uh, part. Uh, he's half Siberian Husky and half Blue Heeler. Mm -hmm. He's got one blue eye and one brown eye, and he's very friendly. So I wanted to travel the country in the summertime when I wasn't teaching to see if I could learn more about. America, and so he's been to 28 states. Wow! He's been an artist in residence uh, uh, at Jurassic, uh, uh in California. Uh, when I say artist, he's a writing partner. Mm -hmm. um, he was also at Piedmont College. Gave us a residency to do some work out in Georgia uh, as well. Um, he has the great distinction. We we have the great distinction of uh, he. We were kicked out of the GM building in Detroit when wow. we were beginning to ask questions about where the bailout money went because mm. Detroit in downtown is still a little iffy. Uh, he's marched in the Coney Island Mermaid Parade as a wow. guest of honor. Uh, yeah, the guest of honor. Was uh, he... He wasn't the, the captain or whatever, the, no, I was but it was say, just was a he, special guy. Was he... Uh decent you know was he nude or anything? he was he <laughs> he, he, he had his collar he had, he had collar on <laughs> okay good, good. uh and uh if you um in, every uh, august 17th uh, here in the city of austin you can raise a glass or a slice of home slice his favorite mm -hmm. pizza uh, that is the day that Mayor Steve Adler uh, proclaimed Dusty Do uh, Dog Day. Wow. And so we have a proclamation as well. He's he's 15 now and really can't move his legs very well. So uh, it's a lot of laying on the ground, laying on the porch, uh, not really bothered by much anymore, but it's very peaceful. Uh, watch movies a lot together. Uh, nice. He watches me grade a lot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, and then we will. Uh, I always debate whether we should watch Game of Thrones together because you know it's violent. You don't want to, yeah. you don't want you don't want that with a dog's life. You know. So, well, question number four: yeah. 
How has fame changed your dog? I'm sorry? <laughs> How did fame change your dog? It didn't. <laughs> he was Does he always, know he's famous? I don't, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but he is, uh, uh, is kind of goofy. He actually is, is somewhat aloof as well. So when we had our, our big day two years ago, uh, when we first uh, had uh, August 17th named after him, we had a pretty big party. We invited a lot of people in, and uh, uh, there was a game room for kids in, in my condo, and we have uh, uh, swimming pools. It was catered by our favorite pizza, Home Slice, which mm-hmm. I'm sure after this we'll want to sponsor your, your podcast. <laughs> I hope so, God damn it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they, uh, that we, we had a lo- lovely time, and just as everybody was having uh, a lot of, uh, I, I, put together a concoction called danger juice and it was basically just fruit juice and then you could add some tito's vodka to it and as everybody was starting to loosen up an awful lot he seemed annoyed (laughs) and he and he just kind of went off to the corner and laid down and went to sleep that's exactly (laughs) how i am at parties as soon as people start enjoying themselves i go lie down well that wasn't actually question number four question number four uh reads more like uh what's a book you've read more than once i think you've already answered that though um Hitchhikers, uh, Little Prince, uh, Slaughterhouse Five, as always. Um, so, uh, I'll go. I'll go. Just take us down a different uh, beaten path. Uh, Sam Shepard's collections, various collections mm. of short stories, mm. I think are exceptional. I actually think they're better than his plays. Uh, and I will be happy to argue that on another, on another podcast. But if you've never read uh, some of, uh, like the Motel Chronicles, uh, it's when he's trying to figure out how to be a writer, uh, and he's just telling what's very clearly autobiographical things. Uh, and um, uh, there, some of the writing's a little messy and sloppy, but at the same time, he leaves open a great deal of room for you to bring your imagination to what's happening. Uh, those are all quite good, in my opinion. Excellent. And do you have any poetry committed to memory? Poetry committed to memory. I knew you were going to ask something like this. Do you happen to know the one about the man from Nantucket? <laughs> I have heard this one. Uh, I, As far as poets are concerned, I, I have to admit I'm not very good at memorizing poetry. Um, I do have a student in my introduction to creative writing class right now who is really struggling and uh, I called her into the office, uh, and I uh, she's struggling with just a handful of things. Life, you know, nineteen-year-old, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sophomore, and uh, internship, and all these kinds of things. And and she wants her poetry to be good, but she was clearly, you know, she wasn't tapping in. She was trying to impress me, and it was obvious that it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so I, I picked up my complete uh, compilation of E.E. E. Cummings, and I opened it up to uh, something that revolves around Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. And I said, here, read this. And she just said, wow, I've never read anything like this before. This has everything in it, and yet it's only a few words. And I kept thinking, yeah, I really do need to memorize this so I can <laughs> impress people. And so uh, the funny, funny part of the story was uh, I closed the compilation and I said, here, take it. Uh, and I went off and I uh, taught my screenwriting class. And then right after that, I taught my playwriting class and I was beginning to walk home. And the student was yelling at me from across the, the campus. Professor Braun, Professor Braun, I got kicked out of biology class. 
And and she ran over. And she said, "Yeah, I got kicked out of biology class for reading poetry." And I thought, "Well, <laughs> if that's, I think, I think we've got something right there." Your job is done. If yeah, and if I may, um, let me see here. Uh, John Cote is one of my favorite uh, poem uh, poets. Uh, I really should memorize his stuff. His his uh, uh, poem Sally's Hair. You know, by by the next time I come back to talk about Sam Shepard or whoever, I will memorize Sally's Hair. And Fantastic. That, Fantastic. That is really something good we will all look forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, well, does that thank conclude you. our episode? That concludes our episode. Thank you so much, Timothy Braun, for a thank wonderful for conversation me. about many books, including Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and folks, if you're listening in the present and not in the future, you have to make that evaluation for yourself. Then know that June 8th is the book release for Lance's novel Why So Much? question mark and it is at Malvern Books as I've just said and it's uh, what time is it? Sat- uh, it's That's a Saturday June 8th 7 o'clock Fantastic and yes. Timothy do you have anything coming out? Uh, I do um, I'm going to be at Malvern uh, reading with the um, uh, the creative writing faculty of St. Edward's University on Tuesday April 20. 20- Third or fourth? Uh, it's Tuesday. I, re- I remember that, and I believe it's twenty fourth. Um, I will read uh, my first dusty story, and I'm going to be reading uh, the opening monologue of my new play. It's an adaptation of uh, Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. Fantastic, and that's twenty nineteen. That's to all future. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, people of the future who uh, are probably crisscrossing the galaxy as mm-hmm. Arthur Dent does in The Hitchhiker's Guide. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Timothy. Thank Thank you you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, and good night. Later.